All right, thank you. Excited to see the generations that are going to come up behind us, both through Calvary Christian Schools, our preschool, our elementary school, our junior high. We're thankful for how God is bringing up folks. And it's a constant reminder, having Justin Unger here this morning. It's the first time I met Justin was this morning. And uh, knew that he had the Phoenix connection. You may or may not know that I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I grew up in Bethany Bible Church. My dad was the pastor of Bethany Bible Church for something like 30 years. Their first pastor began in 1955, and uh, I lived with them throughout those years. Well, Justin is the worship pastor at the Bethany Bible Church where my dad had served. My dad and mom are both with the Lord now, but we're excited for the legacy they have left with me and with us and with Bethany. And then to add on to that, Justin informed me this morning uh, that my father dedicated him to the Lord when he was an infant. And so it's just uh, an amazing thing how these things kind of come full circle. And you see how what God has been doing is passing on from generation to generation. And then Justin uh, filled me in beyond that because I didn't know his, uh, his background, that his grandparents are Larry and Sue Wright. Larry Wright uh, used to be known way back when I was going to high school as Lucky Lawrence and uh, as Lucky Lawrence on KRUX radio, and they played that evil rock and roll music that we'd listen to. The Beatles, oh, the Bee Gees, oh. And so all those uh, terrible, all those terrible bands with drums, you know, because uh, we'd have drums and guitars in church. Oh, that was, oh, you know, uh, don't get me going. So, but that's Lucky Lawrence. And then Lucky Lawrence better said as Larry and Sue Wright, Sue called my dad and said, we got some marriage issues. And so my dad met with them and I don't know how all the details played out, but through that situation, Larry came to know Christ as his personal savior, transformed he and Sue's lives and they then developed this brand new ministry of Bible teaching and discipling and reaching out to the greater Phoenix area. Just a tremendous story. And now Larry's son-in-law continues on that ministry of teaching God's Word. Larry, a very effective Bible teacher and communicator of God's Word. There, uh, he's with the Lord, but uh, so thankful to see that. So here we are, Justin Unger, the grandchild. I can't believe that Larry Wright has a grandchild as old as Justin Unger is because it makes me think, well, how old am I? You know, and so uh, it's just a little scary when his mother, I knew as this young little girl. And, uh, just, uh, again, don't get me going. But uh, in any case, it's just uh, this, this legacy of passing on. Here is the grandson of Lucky Lawrence worshiping with us way back when I was in high school. I would never thought that something like that could take place. And here he is. And so we are in a process of passing on what God has given to us that in the generations to come, others would capture that as well. And this morning, it's all about generosity, but primarily, it's all about a legacy of generosity. We want to continue to pass these things on to those that follow behind us. Even as we had the children's dedicated the children who were dedicated here this morning and our school passing it on, we've got high school students that are passing on a spirit of generosity as well. I'd like you to play a little video behind me here. Our high school students, this is high school student driven. This isn't something where one of the pastors or leaders came to them and says, you have to do this. This came out of a spontaneous combustion of generosity and concern. And they have the PB and J days where they put together these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
and pass them on to those in the civic center and the homeless that are there. And these students are catching this, this spirit of generosity as they do the work. They go out there, they spread the good news, they write scripture on some of these uh, bags so that the, cho- the uh, homeless can be able to see and learn about Jesus Christ. And they pray together, they dance together. That's why they didn't include me because I can't dance. But then they come and they gather together and just let them know the love of Jesus Christ. The people who are the homeless and civic center, if you've been down there, you see it's a camp down there. But those people are loved by Jesus every bit as much as we are loved by Jesus. And so thankful that we have this generation following behind that captures the spirit of generosity. We want to learn about that and grow in that this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're looking. You have an outline that's in the bulletin that you got. If you want to pull that out, it'll help you to follow along. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we read these words as Paul wants to pass on. A little background here. What's taking place in 2 Corinthians 8 is about 45 A.D. There was a famine in Israel. The Judean Christians, the the Jewish people who became followers of Jesus, have no food. So they're collecting funds throughout this region of Macedonia, Greece, Corinth, where we're reading from today. And they're gathering these funds to bring this to the Judean believers so that they would have food, clothing, water, all those items. So this is what he's talking about. He's challenging the Corinthian believers to stay on board. He says in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of the liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And Paul begins this journey of challenging the Corinthian believers to be on board with all the gifts that are being given for the sake of these believers in the Judean area of the nation of Israel. And so we learn from this a legacy of generosity. Here are some practical principles that I believe that come from it. A legacy of generosity grows out of the grace of God in our lives. This first verse. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. For the last three Sundays prior to today, we're talking about generosity. And for those of you who have been here, God bless you for being here every Sunday. And when it comes to this whole matter of generosity and my finances, my money, my checkbook, my bank account, my investments, boy, there's, there's a tendency for a lot of us to have a barrier to go up. Uh-uh, not going there. When the Apostle Paul begins this section, he doesn't begin talking to them about their shekels or their finances or their food items. He begins by talking about the grace of God, and that's where we need to begin. Because nothing else that I say this morning or that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8 means anything until the grace of God has captured my heart. So the grace of God gets a hold of our lives, and it gives us a legacy of generosity because when the grace begins to fill my heart, verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. There is a something that happens. He says, it is moving you through an ordeal of affliction. The word affliction actually means pressure. I feel this pressure upon me. 
He says, my grace of God is helping me go through this affliction. Even in my poverty, I still feel the grace of God moving me forward in a generous, in a generous way, I should say. You know, my, think of my legacy. My parents, as I said, my dad was pastor at Bethany for 30 years, and I heard hundreds of messages from him. I never remember, candidly, where my mom and my dad sat down with me and says, Dave, here's how you balance a checkbook. Here's how much you should give to the church. Here's how much you should, you know, tithe to missions. We never had those conversations. I don't know. We somehow missed all that. James Dobson and all those guys were way after my growing up years, and so my parents just sort of had to wing it. There weren't great books on rearing children back then. And so we just grew up without explicit instruction. But I do remember one day when I was in grade school, probably about third or fourth grade, Sunday morning, I walk into their bedroom. And back in those days, man, it's like, this is the forbidden zone. I don't go into my parents' bedroom. There's something kind of weird about that. But I just felt like, oh, I don't belong here, you know. But I did wander in there for some crazy reason. And there on the desk, Sunday morning, was a check made out to Bethany Bible Church. And I thought, well, this is weird. He's the pastor. Bethany gives him money. Why is he giving them money? It didn't compute in my mind. As a little kid in grade school, I thought, this doesn't make any sense. Why is my dad giving money to the church? Because they take offerings to give him money. I, I just didn't know that pastors give. I thought, pastors get. And on the bottom it said, offering. And it was the beginning of a journey of discovery about generosity. That my parents didn't tell me what to do. They modeled what to do. And that as a pastor, I attempt to live up to the modeling of my own parents, of being a generous giver to Calvary Church, and that we're all part of that work. My parents never made a big paycheck. They're pastors. My dad was. They never made a lot of money. We just got along. We were comfortable but we never had excess. We never had all the extras that all of our friends had. So I remember, remember a few weeks ago I said that we didn't have a uh, vacation house. We had friends who had vacation houses. <laughs> we didn't have a boat. We had friends who had boats. And so I enjoyed all those things because I had friends who had all those things. Get good friends, then you can enjoy all those things. You don't have to be rich. You just have to have good friends. And so that was us. That's what I grew up with. But even in that low-income home, as comfortable as we were, because we never went without. They gave. They were generous. They modeled it. And I caught it. And I try to live it. Joy and I do. Secondly, His grace inspires us to do our very best. I love these verses. These are amazing verses in the Bible about the Macedonian believers that are above Corinth, above the area of Greece today. He says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability... They gave of their own accord. They voluntarily gave beyond what they could really do. And this, this one phrase, begging us, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation of the support of the saints. They were begging to give more. Paul, don't hold us back. We want to be part of this. We want to be what God is doing. We want to be all over it. Why? Because not as we'd expected, but they, as I underline, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were first dedicated to Jesus. When the grace of God gets hold of my life, 
you can't hold back that, that desire to live it out for Christ. Generosity is built upon the grace of God in our hearts that gives us capacity and desire to do beyond what we could ever do in our own strength. Now, let me, because this is so key, let me attempt to have an object lesson. I have over here a couple of items that I want to use to help make that point that the grace of God in us can make a difference. I have my Patriots sports bag. First hour we dedicated the baby of Matthew Slater, Matthew and Shazad Slater, New England Patriots. That's all for you Denver Bronco fans right here, right here. Putting those things aside. I have a balloon that has human air in it. Human air. Giving for some people is like this balloon where I want it to stay up, but it constantly gravitation is just pulling me down, pulling me down. So I want to give. Oh, I got to give to Calvary Church. Now we got to do the faith promise card. Now we got to give to the storm teams. I got to give to the Girl Scouts in front of Albertsons. I've got a somehow wounded warrior. I have to be a leader in a small group for junior hires, and that's really, really hard. And then it gets, oh, and it just goes down. And I exhaust myself trying to keep it in the air. And forgiving is just a burden that I constantly, I can't keep. It's just humanly driven. It's just a constant burden to me to keep these things floating. On the other hand, let's say you have a balloon that is like the other balloon, but the ingredients are different. And it's called helium. Instead of human effort, it's helium effort. Well, for a lot of us, when the grace of God gets hold of us, we're filled with something that goes supernaturally beyond what human strength can accomplish on their own. When the grace of God is in my life, the grace of God is much like the Macedonians who said, I'm giving according to my ability, I'm giving beyond my ability, I'm begging to give more. And we say, what kind of a person is that? It's the kind of person that begins to understand the grace of God. And when the grace of God is in me, it's like putting helium in a balloon. And I don't have to work to hold that up, to lift it up, to let it fly. All I have to do is manage it. Sometimes we hear the phrase, let go and let God. I'm not sure if that's theologically in line with everything in Scripture. There's certainly a good point to it, but I would say, let God and hang on. Let God and hang on. And like this balloon, all I have to do is to walk around and manage what is in it. Let it be like a stewardship where I am guided by every step that I take, but I'm not trying to work hard to hold it up and exhausting myself. I'm letting the Spirit of God in me hold me, carry me, move me, guide me, empower me. So when the grace of God is in me because I surrendered my life to Christ, when Christ is in me, His Spirit is in me, it's like taking a balloon that's got helium and it just constantly wants to stay floating with power, and I just hang on and I manage it well for his sake. That, my friend, is generosity out of the grace of God. Remember that. Let it be a living reminder, kind of a little object reminder of what God is saying to us here, that he inspires us to give our very best when God's grace is in our hearts. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. Secondly, 
A legacy of generosity reflects my authentic spiritual life. As Paul goes on and writes in verses 6 through 9, generosity is a spiritual issue. It's not a financial issue. We're not here to give you tips and techniques and how to balance your checkbook and how to give online. We simply want it to be a spiritual journey that is a natural flow of the grace of God in our lives. Notice what he says in verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance, that is meaning speaking God's truth, knowledge, earnestness, a zeal to do the right thing. In love we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work as also. What Paul is saying is that all of us who are followers of Christ, the grace of God is in our lives. This gracious work is simply part of the spiritual journey. It's, it's like the faith and the speaking of truth and the knowledge and the zeal and the love. These are all spiritual things. And financial giving, it's spiritual as well. It's just part of the spiritual journey. We need to see that everything we say when it comes to the generosity series and anytime we talk about the faith promise, we're, we're not saying here financial things that are different than all of my life that I spiritually live for Christ. Giving is not a financial problem. It's a spiritual challenge to live out that faith in meaningful and solid ways. Some of us in Calvary Church probably get 1200 bucks a month from Social Security. And there may be others of us who get 10 times that much every month. No matter what our income is, generosity comes out of not my bank account, but the spiritual life of God's grace in me. Secondly, a legacy of generosity reflects the authentic spiritual life because it's a willing act of love, not a coerced or forced thing. Notice what verse 8 says. I'm not speaking this is a command, but it's proving through the earnest of others the sincerity of your love also. Paul says, I'm not commanding you to give anything, Corinthians. I'm not going to command that. I'm not going to demand that. I want it to flow out of you, out of your love. You love these people. You give out of the love. You remember a few weeks ago, if you were with us, I shared a conviction that I've recently come to and that I'm banning myself from ever attending either of my daughter's birthday parties. I'm just never going to go anymore. We need to tell you, remember why? Because every time I go to my daughter's birthday parties, they expect me to have to give them something. And I'm just tired of, tired of always showing up and I've got to give them something. I'm just tired of that. And it's, it happens at Christmas. So we're banning family times at Christmas time because I got to show up and I got to have a present for them. So I'm just tired of doing that. It just seems offensive to me that they expect me to have to give when I go to their birthday parties and Christmas celebrations. And as you can well imagine, that's, of course, uh, crazy. But some people treat the Lord that way. They treat the church that way. Every time I go to the church, they expect me to give them something. I resent that. You know, if that's your attitude, I don't want a dime. I don't want a dime. The Lord doesn't either. Why do I give to my, you know, I'm kidding. Why do I give to Jessica and Kirstie at their birthday and being between that? Because I love them. I love to give to my daughters. It's a blessing for me to give to my daughters. It's a blessing at Christmas time to give to them gifts and cash. They love cash. <laughs> so we give them cash. We say, don't cash it for another two weeks. But we give them cash. No, we don't do that. We love to give to them. Why? Because we love them. When I come to church, 
I don't come to church, oh, all they do is ask for money. I, I'm not going to go to church anymore. All they want is my money. No, I come to church and I give to the Lord Jesus Christ. I give to his body called Calvary Church in this particular situation because I love the Lord. I give to my daughters because I love them. I give to the Lord because I love him. Paul is saying here through the earnest of, of, the, of the others, the sincerity of your love, give because you love them, not because I command you to give. We never command anybody to give here. And if you don't feel the love of Christ to give to that, then I am saying you just keep your money because we got a big God who's going to more than make up the difference. And so we invite you into that. The grace of God gives me a love for the Lord and for his work. And then finally, the legacy of the generosity reflects my authentic spiritual life because it is Christ-led, not people-driven. We don't drive people to do things. We lead people by Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd. Shepherds lead sheep. Ranchers drive cattle. We don't drive anybody to do anything. We're led by Christ. Notice how Paul uses this illustration of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He says, look at what Jesus did. He left the luxury of the treasures of heaven. He left that behind to become the child of one of the poorest couples in Israel. And then not only that, but he gave everything else up by dying on the cross. He gave everything. He lost it all for you. And Paul says, that's, that's our model. Much as I learned from the modeling of my parents, I learned from the modeling of Jesus. And Jesus' sacrificial generosity, it stirs my heart to say, God, I want to do more for you. I hunger to have that Christ-led journey of generosity. One of the illustrations that I read recently about that, you saw the, the CCS uh, video that was up here for our school. You saw with Regina Benson there, and there's a little case for Christianity of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is an outstanding apologist for our faith now. Many years ago, when he was the writer for the Christian, for, Christian, for the Chicago Tribune, he was an atheist way back then had no regard for God and the spiritual things. But he was given the assignment to go and interview a poor couple in Chicago. And that poor couple's name was the Delgados. Her, uh, her, the, the mom was Perfecta Delgado. She's 60 years old. She had two granddaughters, Lydia and Ginny, 11 and 13, that were part of that family. So he sat down in their home and interviewed them and noticed how, how poor they were in this rundown apartment. Perfecta couldn't work because of health issues. So they were dependent upon government, and they just didn't have enough. In fact, Lydia and Jenny, when they would walk in the winters to go to school, they had one jacket between these two little girls. And so Lydia would wear it halfway, and then Jenny would wear it the other half of the way. I mean, that's how poor they were. So he had told this story in the Chicago Tribune about this family and then went back later on a slow day to visit them and see how things turned out. He was blown away. When he got there, he realized that everybody in the community began giving these, this family gifts. They were getting food. They were getting clothing. They were getting uh, cash gifts. All that they need was being given to them. But he says, that wasn't what was so amazing to me. Now, here's this atheist looking at this family. Perfecta Delgado had made very clear to, to Lee Strobel, we love Jesus here. We're committed to Jesus Christ. So he visits them the day before Christmas, he's, and, and, and Perfecta says, tomorrow Christmas is the big day of our lives. We love Jesus. But what blew Lee Strobel away is what Perfecta was doing, was doing with all these gifts. She was giving them to all the neighbors. He says, what are you doing? 
All these people in Chicago gave these gifts to you. He says, look, my neighbors need these things. And Jesus has put it on my heart. This is what she's told him. Jesus has put it on my heart that I should give them to those who need as well. And she began to distribute them, the clothing, the food, and began to spread them all around. And Lee Strobel was really, didn't come to Christ through that, but he was touched in such a way. And he said, look, I've got all this money, I've got all these things, and she's much happier in life than I am. And Perfecta told Lee, Jesus has led the way and called me to give these things away. And so she did. See, that's, that's not forced. That's not commanded. That's not shame-based. That's not guilty-led. That's Christ-centered, grace of God, allowing me to hold up in a way that in my own human effort just exhausts me. That is the spirit of what Christ is giving to us to have a legacy of generosity. And then finally, the legacy of generosity, he wants us to finish well. A few of these verses at the very end of the chapter, he says, finish well by developing your mind, your heart, and your deeds. I love this little phrase. I want to break this down a little bit, so get ready. I'm going to put a microscope on this verse. But now finish doing it also so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be also a completion of it by your ability. In order for us to finish well, there are is the trinity of giving, if I might use that term here. The trinity of giving is found in this verse. Notice, let me highlight three wonderful words that Paul used here. So that just as there was a readiness, word one, to desire it, word two, so that there may also be a completion of it by your ability, word three. Now what is he saying? You look at this a little bit closer. The word readiness is a Greek word, prothumos. Pro is forward, thumos, mind. A forward-thinking mind. So Paul is saying, I want you to mentally think forward, plan ahead. Remember 2 Corinthians 9, prearrange gifts, do it ahead of time, not by covetousness or compulsion. So look ahead, your mind looking ahead. Secondly, not only should you have a mind that is thinking ahead, but you should have a desire. The word desire, that means to be, have a will, to have a passion to have this zeal for something. And then thirdly, to have an ability where my deeds are committed in action. I actually work on it. I do something about it. We need all three. We need a mind that says, God, here's how I believe I should give. We need a heart. I have a passion for that. I have an ability. I will act on that. I won't just talk about it. It won't be just good intentions, but I'll actually do something with it because here's the danger. So I was thinking about this. This is a danger for us. For example, bullet point number one. A readiness of mind with no desire of heart, no passion, that breeds resentful giving. We don't want resentment here. Oh, I feel like I should do it. Dave's talking about it in the last four weeks. Oh, I guess I should give something. But my heart's not in it. Keep it. Don't want it. Have no desire to foster a resentment. Secondly, second bullet point, a desire of heart where I have a passion for this, that, and the other thing, but no readiness of mind where I'm calculating and planning and prearranging and organizing and being significant in my investment for the kingdom of God's work, but there's no mind in it, then it leads to careless giving. Sort of random shot, 
giving it out. I don't know what it's doing any good. I don't have any kind of assessment. I don't have any way to evaluate. But I see these things, and I just want to give, and I give, and I give, and I give. And I have no idea whether it's going to be a fruitful thing or, a, or just something because it makes me feel good to give. So you need a passion, but you need to have a mind. Because thirdly, ability of deeds with no heart or mind. I can give, but I don't really care. And I sort of resent it, but I feel like I should do it. That leads to legalistic giving. Or I'm just trying to gain favor with God. I just, oh, I could do it. Yeah, just here you go. I feel better by doing it. We need a balance of all three. Because when your mind is sharp, thinking, planning, calculating, investing well, your heart is passionate, zealous, desirous, comes out of your will. And your ability is according to that to live out the passion and the calculation of mind, that is beautiful, privileged giving. That is the kind of mindset that God has honored and you are excited about. We want giving that's based upon that. We want generosity that flows out of that kind of a heart, mind, and deeds. That's what Paul says. Helps you finish well. Because when you finish well, he will provide. He will supply. He will make that happen. Notice what he says in this verse. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need. So their abundance also may be a supply for your need. There may be a quality. Like Perfecta Delgado. What the citizens of Chicago gave to her, she gave to them. He's like, God, I'll supply this. You supply others. God says, I'll take care of supplying it. I'll fill you up with what you need so that keeps you floating and carrying out my will. Let me tell you this one last story. Two Sundays ago, I was out in the lobby out there, and her oldest daughter, Jessica, came up to me, and Kirstie was with her as well, our younger daughter, those two that I love to give things to on their birthday. I really do love to give them on their birthday. And Jessica, Jessica came up and said, have you heard what happened? I said, no, well, what happened? Well, Friday, so this would have been two weeks ago and two days on Friday. She was uh, sitting there, and she had gotten a bill for $1,000, and she didn't have $1,000 to pay this unexpected bill that came to her. So she was sitting there praying. She said, I was having a quiet time saying, Lord, help me. What am I going to do? This is us beyond me. I can't really take care of this. How am I going to get through this? So it was one of those quiet moments, and seeking the Lord. In the meanwhile, a couple of days before that Friday, on the Wednesday, I think it was, we had received an envelope from Pepperdine University. Now, Jessica has gone to Pepperdine. She's got two master's degrees there. So she owns stock in Pepperdine University, essentially. And, uh, and so, with, uh, you know, that was back in 2009 when she graduated with her master's degree. So that's like, what, seven years ago? I thought, oh, it's probably some fundraiser thing. We'll get it to her when we can. And so Kirstie happened to be at our house on that Friday. And so I, I said, hey, Kirstie, would you give this to Jessica? They live next door to each other. And so I gave it to Kirstie. And Kirstie gave it to uh, Jessica on Saturday. So she opens the envelope, and the first thing she sees, Dear Jessica Mitchell, we have audited your account. And she goes, Oh, no, I owe them more money. I can't believe I can owe them more money. She was a little panicked. But as she read down, they said, We have audited your account, and we overcharged you by $2,024. Where would you like us to send the check? <laughs> this is the Saturday after the Friday of what am I going to do to pay this $1,000 bill? Does God do that for everyone all the time? No. Does God part the Red Sea for all of us all the time? No. But does God bless us every so often just to remind us, I'm still in charge? Absolutely he does. 
And as Jessica was telling that story, Kirsty was standing there, and Kirsty said to Jessica, Jessica, would you pray for my financial needs as well? <laughs> and Jessica said, Kirsty, you can pray for it yourself. You can do it. I know, but your prayers work. I want you to do it. Our prayers do work. A legacy of generosity. This is where, you know, we talk about legacy. When Jessica told me that story, I'm learning from my adult children the beauty of God's blessing in our lives. When my faith becomes small, it's not just what mom and dad, John and Joe Mitchell, gave to me. Now it's what Jessica and Kirsty they teach me as well. So the legacy goes both ways as we learn from one another that God wants to bless us. He wants to fill us with his grace to lift us up beyond the struggles, give us capacity and ability beyond what we ever thought so he can move us through this life with a legacy of generosity and finish well in mind, heart, and ability. That is a rich, rich life, no matter how much is in your bank account. But that's a rich heart. And I invite you into that. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, but after we pray, I want to invite you to come up. We have the offering buckets up here. If God speaks to you, that's great. If not, that's fine too. But we have also the bread and the cup. The bread and the cup symbolize the richness of Christ that he became impoverished for us. He gave everything for us. As he said in that verse 9, he became poor that we might have the wealth of Christ. So come and celebrate what Jesus has done in the symbols of the bread and the cup. And we have these prayer points on either side. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you in this journey as well. We want you to not go through this alone. We want you to know others of us have struggled, we've learned, we grow, but we're in this together. The body of Christ living a life and a legacy of generosity. Let me pray for us. Help us, Father, as we live this life for you. Lord, we know that it's not always easy. There will be challenges that will come our way. There will be temptations that derail us. But, God, you are faithful to be with us no matter what. Thank you, Father, for the grace of Jesus Christ that helps us to live this life. May our hearts in this room, every single one of us, be filled with his grace because we have given ourselves, first of all, to Jesus and that he gives us capacity and ability beyond what we ever could do on our own. Lord, may we live it for you and glorify your name and be blessed. Be blessed as your generous people. And we thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.